So this might be the first guest that we've had on our podcast that could kill me if he wanted to. Yes, absolutely. But physical strength. Like, like if you looked at him, you would say, this person could kill Steve. And I'm going to be honest, it's a little terrifying, but we're going to try to get through this. You don't think that about me or, I don't know, like... Uh... Carly or I feel like you you, you you would just like you would just out sass me I think that's <laughs> I, I, I think that's what that like you would out judge me you would be very judgy yeah and I would just take my ball and go home but that's, but but that's my but, secret weapon but this gentleman is is he could he could crush me like a can if he wanted to yes he has a, a legit physical skill among other skills which kind of came as a surprise to me so steve you know that i am super multi-passionate which on most days i just feel like means i want to do a million things and i don't have enough time to do it all so whenever i come across someone who is multi-passionate but actually doing it successfully I'm always super impressed by that person immediately and now and then this person also has the added quality of having this physical strength so our guest today is Chris Pavone and the reason that Steve brought up the fact that he could crush him is because <laughs> in Chris's first career he was a pro wrestler but has since moved on to a multitude of other things, which you're going to, I don't want to spoil it all in the beginning. Many of them creative. Something that I learned in this episode that I didn't know about Chris is that he has a art degree, which he has ended up applying not only to his wrestling career, but to some of the other things that came after it. And um, yeah, I, I feel like I keep saying like, oh, I was so surprised. I was so surprised. Chris and I were in a mastermind together just briefly. So we kind of knew each other, but this episode was kind of eye-opening as to how you can be one of those multi-passionate people and not feel like you're all over the place, that you can actually forge a path for yourself. And Chris gives us a, a great example of how you can make all of that happen and how you can do it with a smile on your face and with a really positive attitude. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in the digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at Pod4Creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. As kids, many of us had dreams about what we wanted to be when we grew up, and I think not to be stereotypical, but a lot of guys had dreams about being pro athletes, and you had something specific in mind, and you were able to actually make it a reality. So how did you pull that off? <laughs> yeah. So this idea of wanting to be a pro wrestler, it was just something that was in me ever just, it was planted there. Um, ever since I was a kid, I just wanted to do this. And actually, so I don't want to trail off too much here. So on Instagram, there are so many cool wrestling follows and it's just like fans that post um like old school wrestling stuff and then i so i follow this one it's like old school wwf and it's from like 
the timeline of when I was a kid. It's from like the late eighties, like through the nineties. And there was a match that this Instagram, uh, 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 page posted this morning and it was Razor Ramon with red trunks on that's important versus Bastion <laughs> Bastion Booger and it was on Monday Night Raw and that's the match because I think that's the only time they ever wrestled each other and Razor had red trunks on and I remember that match being on and this was in 1993 and my sister wanted to watch something else and I'm 13 years old and I wanted to watch Monday Night Raw and my mom said, or Kel, go to the, go in the other room and you can watch the TV in there. Like, I, I guess I had won the, the confrontation. <laughs> and my sister goes, this wrestling stuff is so stupid. And she goes, mom, and that's what he wants to do with his life. Like, look at that. And I just remember the visual. It was Razor Ramon versus Bastion Booger. And that came up in my Instagram feed today, actually. And I was like, you know what? I do. I do want to do this. So <laughs> when I was 13 years old, I thought that, you know, that's what I want to do. Now, Okay, that's a kid. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a astronaut. I want to be a pro wrestler. Well, when I was 18 years old and graduating from high school, it was like, yeah, I still wanted to be a pro wrestler. And so then I was, you know, really serious about it. And from there, I took all the steps necessary to make that a reality. That's yeah, nice. what? Like, I have no <laughs> idea. Like, if you were like, how do you become a pro wrestler? Like, where do yeah. you? I'm guessing you did you wrestle in high school, like on the your school team? So funny story about that. Uh, so when I was so when I was a junior in high school, um, you know, a little bit older, 16, 17 years old, we're starting to develop your brains develop a little bit more, obviously. And that's when it was like, like, I'm like, this is serious. This is what I want to do. Um, so I made that decision like then. So that being said, I went out for the wrestling team and I went to the first day of it. Um, and there was a meeting and they were talking about wrestling. And I was, remember, I remember thinking, nah, this is nothing like pro wrestling, man. This ain't going to help me. So I never went back. And uh, I played football in high school. But, uh, man, my mind was always set on wanting to be a wrestler. And there's no youth leagues for pro wrestling. So, you know, what could I do? Well, I would dream about it a lot. <laughs> but I started working out. It's the reason I started working out. I was a skinny kid in high school, like 150 pounds in you know, so I, I would watch these guys and I on TV and I thought, you know, that's what I want to look like. So I'm going to do everything I can to, you know, to look like that. I want to look like a wrestler and I would design like what my wrestling gear was going to look like. And so, you know, when I graduated high school, everybody's going off to college. You know, what do you want to do? And I still wanted to be a pro wrestler. And um, so the deal with my parents was they, they saw I was serious about it. So they said, look. Um, we'll support you in this wrestling thing. Just stay in school. You have to stay in college. And uh, I'm an artist. I've always been an artist. And I thought, man, I don't know what I want to major in. So um, I don't know. I'll major in art. So I actually ended up getting a scholarship to the local university. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. So I attended Ohio State University on an art scholarship. And um from there, I, I went to school, but then I was like, my main goal is to be a pro wrestler. So I knew enough about the pro wrestling industry to know that you have to find somebody to train you and it has to be somebody reputable, you know, somebody with a good pedigree. Because a lot of there's a lot of people, especially back uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, where, you know, you could pay them thousands of dollars to train you, but then nothing would come of it. You know, uh, they didn't know what they were doing or they had no connections, anything like that. 
And so that started a three-year search for me to find a reputable pro wrestling school. And, and it, took, it took three years. And the reason it took three years was there were other schools I knew about throughout the country. You know, I'm living in Northeast Ohio, but I couldn't just pack up and move because I had this deal with my parents that I would finish school. What ended up happening was I heard about a school in Louisville, Kentucky that was a actually a farm league for the WWF, uh, which is you know the big leagues, the big time, and they're the WWE today. And I found out that they had a beginners class that met on the weekends. And then I was like, wow. So I can go to school during the week and I could go to Louisville, Kentucky on the weekends and train. Um, but the only problem with that was uh, Louisville, Kentucky is a six hour car ride one way from my parents' house. So it was a 12 hour round trip. And um, I remember my sister telling me, which by the way, I should point out, my sister's been very supportive. She's just my sister. <laughs> <laughs> right? She pops up from time to time. But you know, when you're younger, it's a little different. Imagine if you lost that TV battle. I mean, <laughs> this this could have been a whole different path. <laughs> right? That's that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember her saying to me, she goes, Chris, you you can't commute to Louisville, Kentucky every week. And I remember thinking, yeah, I can. And I remember telling some of my friends about it, and they kind of just were like, that's kind of crazy. And my one friend, Glenn, he said, well, at least you'll learn the words to a lot of songs. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in the car. And uh, so, but that's what I did. That was my option. I knew I wanted to go to, uh, it was Ohio Valley Wrestling. And that's that's what I did. And, um, and I did that for a year. And I think there's a principle at play here too, because yeah, I was willing to do... That was like my my only option really to go to a good uh, school, and um, so I I took what I had available and made it work. And the other thing is um, the trainer of the school at the time, his name's Nick Dinsmore. He was a WWF guy, and um, after about a month, he saw well, he saw a little bit of ability in me and some talent, but he also saw what I was doing to get down to Louisville every weekend. So um, after about a month, he invited me to stay with him when I'd come down for the weekends. And then that was cool because then I started getting an education, um, you know, outside of the wrestling ring. And we would watch, all of a sudden, all this wrestling I grew up watching, we would watch wrestling. and But then he would explain things to me like, you know, this is why they did this. And this is why the the heel does that. And the good guy does this. And, um, and the principle, I think, is, um, you know, using what we have available to us to making it work. I think when we're putting ourselves out there, when we're making the effort, the right people come along and are there to help us out and, and, and guide us as well. I didn't know that, that you went to school for art, that you went to college for art. So I'm curious now, once you got into pro wrestling, from the little bit I know, <laughs> what you wear and kind of like your whole... I don't know if character is an appropriate word to use. Persona is very visual. So did you do all of that stuff yourself? Did you use that art degree and apply it to your pro wrestling days? Yeah, great question. And I totally did because, um, yeah, pro wrestling, um, there's, you are really your own. It's very similar to entrepreneurship. I've noticed now. Um, so you create everything about you. Um, it's a little different when you get signed to the, 
the, one of the big companies, but still you're responsible for keeping yourself in shape and designing your gear. So yeah, I, I just, I would use my artistic skills to design my, my wrestling gear. And, um, and I would have my friends sometimes ask me to design their stuff for them. So yeah, that definitely came into play. You, you sort of made kind of a, a, a right-hand turn <clears throat> after your, your wrestling career and, and, and going to work with, uh, elementary um, school students, um, and I'm I'm curious with that transition. First of all, it's two totally different type paths just from the outset. So, when did you sort of realize it was time to make the move away from pro wrestling? And were there challenges that you faced along the way in this career path? So, my whole pro wrestling career spanned just under ten years. I started like a week after my 21st birthday, all the, you know, great ups and downs of, of that. Most of it was ups, a uh, lot of fun. You know, when I'm getting to do that for the first time now, I'm with a bunch of guys that also grew up wanting to do this odd thing of being a pro wrestler and uh, got a contract with the WWE and, and got fired for um, inappropriate behavior, basically, is, is what it was. Just um, that's a whole story in itself, I believe. And uh, I believe that was God removing me from a situation mm -hmm. and um, learned a lot of life lessons there and was able to get myself straightened out. Got hired back with them um, in 2008 and then finished out my career in 2010. So I mentioned that because, you know, when I was 27 years old, well, I was 26 when I when I got fired for for it was excessive partings basically is what it was they wanted to make an example of me and and rightfully so and at that point in my life you know it was like my felt like my life was over which is silly to to say but you know that's wrestling was my world so all i wanted to do was was get back there and i i stayed active on independent wrestling shows and i ended up getting back there and when i was 28 i thought you know this is what i'm going to do you know forever and then around that time um a shift started to happen and i started to kind of just think you know what i was approaching 30 um which is young i've never been one for oh i'm getting old so really age didn't have anything to do with it it kind of just that's kind of just where i was at when this these feelings were coming up and i thought you know at some point i'm gonna i want to get married and settle down and you know have kids and you can do that, but it's a little challenging when you're on the road all the time. And it just I just started to, for the first time in my in my life, really have some different desires crop up. And um, wrestling all of a sudden wasn't like the most important thing in the world to me anymore. Was that was that scary for you? It, it, it wasn't scary. It was more exciting, I thought, I think, because I, I knew if I was feeling this way, then maybe something else is is around the corner or something is new is um you know, going to crop up. So we'll see. Now, um, I was never like a top guy in the WWE, but I was what uh, you would call like a good hand. I was really good. I can work with anybody, which is a valuable thing to have. Everybody liked me. Got a lot, it can get very political. You know, it's choreographed and predetermined, but the more you win, the more money you make pretty much. So you can see how that's... <laughs> So I thought I would always be kept around to work with younger guys and in and, and that. And so um, I got let go from my contract in December of 2010. And um, WWE does that. They do house cleanings and uh, they, they'll, they'll cut their roster. And it's kind of a revolving door. They told me when they released me, they said, if you want, you can come back 
but when I got let go, I knew I was I was at peace with being done with wrestling, and I was like, I knew I was gonna, I knew I was, I had no desire to go back there. And this is where it got kind of scary to answer your question, Steve, about you know the fear. And I, I was happy with what I got to do in my wrestling career. You know, I got to live out a childhood dream. But now, you know, I'm 30, and I've done it my entire 20s. So it's like, now what the heck do I do? And the first thing I did was nothing. I had three months of severance pay, and it was January in Florida. It's really nice here at the time of year. And um, I just relaxed and kind of chilled out. But then I started to, you know, when you're living off your savings or that doesn't last very long. And one of the first things I did just to get some income coming in was I got a job at a um, catering service. And that was that was such a wonderful job because it was very it was uh taught me some humility and um you know we're talking temp work where, where you get the uh the generic tuxedo outfit and you cater weddings and i remember walking out to my car for the first time in that outfit and i'm like three months two months removed from you know wwe and i called one of my mentors and i said man i was like i feel like a chump like wearing this outfit and he said chris he goes you're going there to serve and um I thought, wow, that's it, you know? Like, let's put the ego to the side. And and I love that was such a great job. It just, I don't know, I just loved it. It was just, I don't, it just taught me some humility, I guess. And uh, so I started to do, and I was willing to do that type of stuff, you know? Because when I got fired back in 2006, you know, I was, I'm a wrestler and, and all the work is below me. I'm a pro wrestler and that's all I can do. And it's like, no, you need to get a job and make some money. In, in also around this time that I started to um, kind of journal and inventory and like think about what I would want to do. And so I, I thought, well, I like kids, you know, my art, I figured that was a given. I'd do something with my art. And uh, so that art degree that I, that I got that my you know parents wanted me to get that I never thought I'd use uh, that when I started looking at teaching, um, I thought maybe I can be an art teacher. And I felt the way about teaching that you, you, you know, you would about pro wrestling. Like, how the heck do you become a teacher? <laughs> I knew how to be a pro wrestler, but I, I didn't go to school for teaching. Like, how do you do that? You can't just go apply. And so I thought, um, well, let me ask a teacher. My friend Kathy was a teacher. And I said, so I didn't go to school for teaching. How could I pursue that as a, a new career? And she had answers. She said, uh, if you go downtown and get fingerprinted and processed, that's all you need to do. And you can get a job as a teacher's aide. Uh, she goes, you don't need any education uh, background or anything, no degrees for it. And she goes, it's, it'll do two things for you. One, it'll get you in the classroom and see if you even want to do this. And two, it'll, it'll help you start making some connections. So that's, that's what I did. And, I, you know, I think the fact that I'm a male – Especially ten years ago, um, helps. helps. Yeah, yeah. they get hired like immediately. <laughs> this is Were you ever... recognized? Were you recognized as 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 your WWE personality by those students? N no. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, because now they've looked me up on YouTube. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah. Can't run from that. Right. But no, just by seeing me. But it's funny you asked that because I didn't get recognized a lot, especially. Um, I, that's, that was another thing where I, like, I knew my wrestling career. Like my dad was like, "Oh, you must really be done with wrestling." Was I cut my hair? Cause I had yeah. long hair yeah. and I had these goofy mutton chop sideburns. 
Um, so I looked a little different. One of the only times, the most random time I got recognized was at that catering job. Everybody's eating. And we're just, you, you just stand there. And me and another guy are standing there and we're talking. And he, and he said, what brought you to Florida? And I said, actually, I used to be a pro wrestler and their, their, their training camp was in Florida. So that's why I came down here. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, Kalen Croft? That was my wrestler. <laughs> Cause what are you doing here? I was like, I don't wrestle anymore. I got to make some money, you know, so. <laughs> try the beef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the only times that that happened. But, but so I, yeah, I got my foot in the door um, as a teacher's aide. And then the local community college here had a program where if you had a bachelor in any field, you could take an accelerated course and get your uh, teaching certification like your bachelor's in teaching. I guess it is. In like, uh, it was like nine months or something. So I thought I wanted to be a classroom teacher. Uh, meanwhile, my dad was like, hey, I, I see on the website there that you don't, you know, because you have your art degree that you could become, you can be an art teacher right right now. Uh, you're qualified. He's like, I have your resume here at the on the computer at the house. Do you want me to send it out? And uh I said, man, I was like, I guess if you want, I was like, nobody's going to hire me though with no experience. And I got two job interviews almost immediately. And the second one hired me. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And so this is like nine months after my wrestling career is over. And so, and, and the way it works is because I had my art degree. I was like certified in the state of Florida to teach art, but I had a year to take some tests. Then I had three years to, to take some continuing education and uh, some other tests. And then I got my teaching certification. Now this, this was when I was most scared because, okay, I was so excited. I was like, wow. And I think I wanted to prove it to myself that I could have a quote unquote real job, like a nine to five. So they hired me and I was really pumped. But then like when August came and it was time to like teach school, like I didn't do an internship. I I, I wow. didn't know much, yeah. and uh, that's when I was freaked out. I was like, "Oh my terrifying. god!" Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, they're gonna they're gonna find out <laughs> that I'm doing um, district or whoever. You know, now all of a sudden, like I'm in the I'm in the school system, and so you know, downtown is what they call all the district people, and I'm like. You know, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm in a classroom with people's kids. And, you know, pro wrestling, I knew how to what to do and how to handle that. And this was, a, you know, brand new, you know, ballpark. It's it's like the transition from one industry to another. But the but the the, the tie that binds from how you got into pro wrestling to, you know, where you are at this point, like it's it's uncanny how that happened. Mm, yeah. Now, anyone listening to this might have just heard your story and think, wow, this guy had a really cool career story. He went from one extreme to this other extreme, but this is not the end of your story. You still went on to do <laughs> something else. And now you also have kind of this online brand and coaching business and your own podcasts. So tell us about when that turn happened and you are still teaching in addition Cor to, to correct that? yes okay so tell us about the steps that you took to define your online brand and build your audience and also maybe you can answer because i know people are always really curious about this 
did you have a clear picture going into it or did it kind of unfold and become apparent to you over time? Mm, yeah, I love that question because it definitely unfolded and became apparent to me over time. 2011, I transitioned into teaching and my wife is a good um, mirror, I guess, <laughs> to this part of my life um, because I, I was, you know, we continue to change and grow and I was a lot different, you know, then. Um, so by that, I mean, okay, at the end of my, the end of my first year of teaching is when I met my wife, Rachel. And I, at this point in my life, like I said, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could, you know, have a normal job and, you know, be a nine to five a worker amongst workers. And, and so I'm, I'm doing that. And I also thought, okay, cool. I, I knew a lot of like pro athletes that, uh, like I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, die hard. <laughs> I'm from Northeast Ohio. And I, I knew of some Browns players that like after their football careers, they became insurance uh, agents or uh, like car salesmen. And that's kind of how I viewed myself. I'm like, former WWE wrestler, former pro wrestler, now I'm a teacher. So now I'm going to do this for the next, you know, 30 years. And I have a retirement and this is what you do. And I mentioned Rachel because uh, she told me this about a year ago, which I don't remember saying this. And I was like shocked that I said this, but again, it just shows how we change. So we were dating the summer after my first year in teaching. And I guess she asked me if I ever had any desire to do anything else. And Again, I don't remember this, but I guess I got offended and said something to the effect of, um, you know, what, is teaching not good enough for you? Because if it's not, like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Too bad. <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> it, it, she was kind of asking me, like, yeah, but don't you have any desire to maybe do something else where you can have the opportunity to make more money? And and I just took it totally the wrong way. And when she told me this like a year ago, I was like, I said that? I was like, really? <laughs> what? No way. She's like, yeah. And then I, I thought, well, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. If I think of, you know, my mindset then, and 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 you know, it that's where I was at. I'm going to be a teacher um, if the next 30 years, and I'll retire, and, and that'll be that. But but um, as we walk our path, probably my third, third or fourth year into teaching, I started to kind of think differently about that. And you know, the, uh, this idea of working a nine to five and it's kind of the same thing daily. I, I was starting to get kind of bored with, with it actually. And I didn't know what that was right away. And I kind of would ignore it because I, again, I'm thinking this is just what I'm supposed to be doing from now on. I got the, Hey man, you know, be, be grateful. You get to live out a childhood dream. How many people get to do that? Now you're a teacher. Just, just show up and do what you're supposed to do. And <laughs> But I just couldn't shake the feeling that, you know, maybe I want to do something else. So I started to explore that. And anytime that would come up for me, something new would present itself. E even like in my wrestling career, for the first time in my life, when I started to feel like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Uh, not too long after that, I got let go. And then new opportunities presented themselves. And so I started to feel this way about my teaching career. Nothing else would would really kind of present itself until I thought, well, let me try to create something. When I was uh, traveling in airports, I would always be drawn to the children's books in the, air, in the bookstores. And I thought, you know what? I always wanted to uh, make a children's book. So I looked into that and then I thought, you know what? I can write one. You know, it's 32 pages. Uh, so that's what I did. I, I wrote and illustrated a children's book. It's called, uh, yeah, No Beard the Pirate. 
And um, I thought maybe this would be my next, maybe this is what I'm going to move on from and I'll, and I'll sell books. This will be awesome. And so I did that and um, got it published with mascot books, which is kind of like a hybrid where uh, you pay for the printing. So I raised the phone on Kickstarters. So it's kind of like self-publishing, but then they promote it for you and it was available on Amazon and that was a lot of fun. And I started to sell some books and, but I quickly realized like there's not a ton of money in, in selling books and unless you know, you have a New York Times bestseller. And, uh, but then I got, I heard uh, of a guy named Dan Miller and this book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. And this is probably like 2016. And that book really changed a lot of things for me where I used to think, you know, just show up and, and be happy that you have a job, which is true. But it also doesn't mean that you need to, to stay there. If you feel a calling, if you feel there's uh, something else pulling you, you should pursue that. And I read 48 Days to the Work You Love, and then I started listening to Dan's podcast every week. And then I could see that what was happening was there was this entrepreneurial spirit in me that I didn't know was there that was like being awoken. And so I thought, I'm going to start a business online. Um, that's what I want to do. So what do I want to start online? And I thought, well, I don't know. I'm an artist. I wrote this children's book. Let me start my own art business. I started creating these YouTube videos around my art and I try to sell my art online. And um, I just started kind of doing these like inspirational messages on YouTube and I started to get some reaction and people would ask me, say, Hey, I didn't know you were a, uh, I didn't know you were a, um, like a motivational speaker. And I said, I wasn't. Um, and I started going to conferences and uh, I met Cliff Ravenscraft at a conference and he was the podcast answer man at the time. And I shared my story with him and, he was the first person that said, dude, you should be a, you're thinking about being a coach. Um, and I said, no, I haven't. Um, and then I hooked up with Cliff and started my podcast, the Chris Pavone show. And it's about positivity and living your dreams and setting goals and going after it. Um, and then from there is when I realized, and I mentioned all that stuff about the children's book, which was cool, but trying to do my art business, which, you know, didn't, it didn't really work, um, but it was a very valuable experience. And it led me to, by, by trying that stuff, it led me to the coaching. And that's kind of how I arrived at being a coach today. One of the things that I think kind of jumps out is, is that, at least to me, is, is that there's, there's always room for growth. It seems like with you, like, you know, you, you, you go after what you want, you experience it and live it, but you always have an eye on you know, what's next. And sometimes it's because you might've been forced into that, but other times it's because you really do, or you're looking to continually grow. But with that also comes the understanding that what you're about to get into, you may not have it all figured out yet. You know, you didn't have teaching figured out when you, when you, when you got the job, you didn't have coaching figured out when you, when you kind of went in, into that path. Does it pose a challenge for you as you're coaching and guiding others? Do you feel like, you know, you're an imposter at times because you're still trying to figure things out as you're doing it, but you don't want to necessarily lose the credibility you're building too. Yeah, definitely imposter syndrome, right? Because you know I'm a coach, I'm supposed to know all this stuff and, and be telling right. you what to do. And I uh, put myself out there uh, all of uh, 2018 was like the first year I was actually coaching and letting it be known, telling people I'm a coach. And I had a little bit of success with it. And at this point, you know, I, I realized this is who I am and what I want to be as a coach. And, and now the goal is to do that full time, leave my teaching career and, and, you know, move on from that. I was a little, I found myself a little frustrated at the beginning of 
2019 because I, I thought, okay, I, I've been coaching for a year, you know, which isn't that long. But I was like, I'm not, you know, if my goal is to make this a full time profitable business, you know, I'm nowhere close to that. And then I got a hold of a book, kind of just like that pro wrestling school, Ohio Valley Wrestling, now that I think about it, <laughs> that somehow I never heard of before. And I was like, this works perfectly. I found out about the book, The Prosperous Coach. And, you know, I thought, yeah, here's another book about, you know, <laughs> what to do online or whatever. And the book starts off and it talks about, you know, you know how to coach and in the most difficult part could be getting clients. And I was like, yeah, like, how do you, like, how do you do that? And they're like, well, that's exactly what this book is about. <laughs> and I'm like kind of skeptical. I'm like, okay, let's see that. <laughs> you know? So I listened to this book and it just resonates with me. I'm like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Um, as, as far as, you know, creating clients, they call it creating clients. And one of my biggest takeaways from the book was it's really hard to, market coaching um, because well a lot of people for one a lot of people don't know what coaching even is you know, like we know it because we're in this space but um, you know maybe the average person doesn't even know what that means and if they do they don't know what coaching with me is like so that that I immediately could could see and that resonated with me because for a year I was trying to you know drive traffic to my website and, and sign up with me and, and click on work with me and and, and you can it, so but after reading this book, I thought, yeah, why would anybody do that? Like, they have no idea what that would be like to coach with me. So why would they pay me money without knowing that? And what this book teaches is a four-step process of uh, connecting, inviting, create, propose. And what that is is just you just connect with people um, on the street. <laughs> you know, you can do it online, but um, when you're at the gym and, and connect with people and then when it's appropriate, invite them to a coaching call. And, um, or just a conversation you invite them to have, because like I said, most people don't even know what coaching or a lot of people don't know what coaching is a lot do. And I started to do that and, um, I started to get results and by inviting people to have a coaching call with me and experience my coaching, you know, I had no charge. Then they know what coaching with me is like, especially if they get some like results and if they yeah. find the session helpful. And then they're like, oh, wow, I get that. Okay. And from there, you can talk about moving forward and, you know, continuing into a paid coaching relationship. Going back to taking action, I just took the action on it. I had a friend named John Strasser who was coached by the author of the book. And so I hooked up with him and he had a, a coaching course that I signed up with. And, you know, again, it just was like a, a group of people uh, kind of going after the same thing. And that really helped kind of accelerate what I was doing. And, and um, I just really took to this, what I call the prosperous coach approach. And I started to enroll clients. And, you know, that's exciting when somebody, you know, you're getting to serve and help it. And then somebody pays you money for that. And mm. um, so I, I started to build my client list. And this is like last summer. And it started to happen pretty quick to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go back to school. Like, this, <laughs> this is what I want to do. And I don't want to go back to the day job. And, um, and, but what I did was, you know, I looked at that and I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not running from my, my teaching job. It's been really good to me. It's been my steady income for the last eight years. Instead, I'm going to run to this coaching practice and continuing to build this and see what happens. And, and so that's what I've done. And, you know, I've worked really hard 
over the school year and I've been very intentional about my time. It's like I'm at my day job and then the rest of my time is, is coaching or having these connect calls or doing something uh, surrounding my coaching. At this time in your life, you have a lot going on. You have your full-time job still. You have your growing coaching business. And I know that things like exercise and mindfulness are all things that are important to you. So tell us about some of your habits and routines that allow you to juggle all of your, <laughs> your life and work together. Right. I do have a lot going on right now. So I want to acknowledge that because <laughs> <laughs> just recently, I think I was uh, not getting burned out because I um, love everything I'm doing, but I was finding myself very, um, very tired, like all the time. I like talking about coaching so much and, and teaching it. I put together a coaching school that started started in January. So I have that. There's four people in it. And, you know, I want to serve them, of course, and my weekly podcast in yeah, exercise, right, is very important to me. I still make that a priority. Um, and I have a wife. <laughs> and I found it's, um, yeah, just being intentional about what's important. You know, my podcast is important to me. So I, I make sure I set the time to get that done. You know, my coaching clients, of course, are important to me. You know, serving the, the students in my school is important to me. Uh, going to the gym is important. And, and so it's just being intentional I think about what it is I need to do and, and what I want to do and being consistent and also little common sense things like going to bed at a decent hour because I wasn't doing that. I'd that, be is up an, to, that is that is a <laughs> underrated but very astute point. Right? Yeah. Because I'd be up till 1230 then I wake up at 6 and yeah. oh and um, I have two clients – in France and they're six hours ahead of us. So they can't meet on the weekends. And this is just one of the things, you know, I'm willing to do right now in this season. So I meet them at five in the morning. So, you know, there's some days I get up at four 30 and yeah. And, and I'm always talking about taking time to take care of ourselves. And just recently I noticed that I wasn't doing that very well. So, and recognizing too that it's a season. We're at the end of February, you know, there's two and a half, three months left of school. And so knowing that this isn't going to go on forever is helpful too. Because yeah, there are days where I'm just like, dude, um, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. Like, this is my choice. You know, nobody's forcing me to do all this stuff. Yeah, but there are times where I'm like, I'm freaking tired. Yeah. But the like end is in sight, or at least a long break. <laughs> All right, we have kind of like a rapid fire segment that we do towards the end. So the first one is, what is your favorite social platform? Mm, I would say, well, I have to give a little asterisk. If that's sure. okay. Of course. I would say Twitter for receiving, because that's how I get all my Cleveland Browns and sports information. <laughs> And for putting stuff out, I guess, would be Facebook. So you mentioned that you are a big reader. Um, so what, what is a book that you've recently read that you couldn't put down? I was just talking to a friend about this. I'm always reading a book, but if, like every like so often you get the book that you can't put down, which is awesome. The last book I had that I couldn't put down was The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Bloom or Boom. And... Um, 
I've read a lot on uh, World War II and Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. I find that stuff fascinating. And the, yeah, the hiding place is a true story of uh, a family in Holland that hid Jews in in uh, Nazi occupied Holland in Belgium, and uh, that's a cool book. So yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. What about the what about the best piece of advice you've received? You know, when people say don't take yourself too seriously, that always kind of puts things in perspective for me. Mm. I like that one too. It's a, always a good reality check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Person you, you trade places with for a day. I would say the rock. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is there a main reason why does it go back to wrestling or is it, is it completely different? Yeah. Different. Uh, I just think he's a cool guy. And, um, so before him, you know, pro wrestling was always kind of the, like the, you know, the stepchild of the entertainment industry. Like it was never taken seriously. Any wrestler that got into acting, it was like they're a wrestler doing an acting thing. Well, The Rock, you know, has, I mean, he's like as A-list as you get. So I always think that's so cool. And he remembers his wrestling roots. He always comes back and does stuff and helps the young guys out. And, and he just, um, I don't admire just working hard just to do it, but he, you know, he really is his work ethic is insane he just does a lot of cool stuff yeah and we have the, we have the same birthday too which is cool <laughs> yeah you got something in common already that's a that's a good that's a, it's a good point yeah um and chris how would you define success you know success is um being content and happy with where you are and what you're doing i like that yeah i like that very much living living in the now and one thing i did want to mention which I think is kind of cool and ties into a lot of the stuff you guys talk about is uh, like with my coaching, uh, one of the things I love most about it is that it's what they call creation mode. Where as a coach and really in a lot of in entrepreneurs, you know, you get to create, you get to create what you want to create. Um, it's like, that's what I did with that coaching school. So there's a, I think it's just a lot of cool. There's a lot of freedom there. Kind of like you're designing your life. Yes, totally. Not being scared to do it. And this is who I am, what I want to try. And let's just do it and see what happens. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what's next for you. I mean, you've already done so much, but do you have any <laughs> other creative aspirations that you have yet to pursue? Y yeah. So I guess what's up next immediately would be, you know, walking into this, uh, doing this coaching full time which is exciting and, you know, it seems really real now for me. Like, you know, I'm looking at, uh, and it's not, they're not big deals. You just, you know, insurance and how that all works and that, that's all gets handled. Um, so that, that would be what's up next and just continue to, you know, build my practice. And beyond that, I don't know, because I, I love how you asked earlier, you know, did you, do we see it all laid out or is it kind of unfold? And that's always been my experience. Like as I take the next step, the next thing presents itself and unfolds. Uh, that's kind of why I never liked the question, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> it's like, I have an idea, but I don't know. Yeah. Cause I couldn't have told you, you know, in 2007 that in 2000, I'm sorry, 2009 that in 2011, I'd be in a classroom teaching. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't have told you in 2015 that I'd be doing this coaching stuff today. Just like the coaching school, I, I thought about that like in uh, like August and in November I did it. 
so yeah, it, it's exciting um, to see what's next, and it's by taking the action and you know walking the path that the next thing unfolds. So that's exciting. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Rachel was a big, growing up, she was a big wrestling fan because her brothers were. For real? Straight shit. That's that's Um, like a really cool thing for a girl to be into. Yeah. Still, you know, there are Monday nights when I come downstairs after we put Ryan down and, and, and I'll walk through the living room and like for a half second it's on and she's looking at it and I'm like, fuck. That is really cool. It's <laughs> off my screen. I, people I'm gonna... kill me if they wanted to. <laughs> Most people could kill me if they wanted to. Including your wife. <laughs> yes. It's terrified of her. <laughs> she's, she's down there studying those moves. Yeah. Yeah. She's five foot one. It terrifies me. 